Yesterday was for Columbia, and thanks to all of you who showed up and showed out to show the love of Jesus to our community. Almost a thousand people from the crossing joined with Christians from different churches all over the city to help individuals and nonprofits in the city of Columbia as a way to show our city that we are for our city because God loves our city. Every person, everything about our city, God loves. And so thank you to all of those who gave up part of your Saturday, all of it, to uh, uh, show that kind of love to the people in our community. When Christine and I were dating, the phrase DTR was kind of a big thing. I, I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but couples would have this DTR conversation. And DTR simply meant define the relationship. It was that time when you sat down and figured out how serious are you? Where is this thing going, if anywhere at all? It was always a little awkward because somebody had to go first. And that person was always the vulnerable person, right? Because are you going to reciprocate? Do you like me as much as I like you? Well, I don't know. I was 20. She was 21. Yes, that's right. She's the original cougar. And uh, uh, she says, I said, after a month, I don't know if this is true, but after a month of dating, she said, I told her that if it wasn't going toward marriage, we should stop dating. Now, I didn't sound like something I'd say, right? Because it seems a little over the top, a little aggressive for a month of, mar- a month of dating to be talking that way. But nonetheless, it, it worked for me. Uh, so I want you to think this morning in terms of Jesus sitting you down and having a DTR with you. Jesus saying, hey, where's our relationship going? How, how serious are you ab- about this thing? Now, look, it, it, Jesus isn't in a romantic relationship with you. He's not going to propose. And yet I still do think that he wants to know where you stand. And, and I think Jesus would put it this way to each one of us this morning. Are, are you my admirer or are you my follower? Are you my admirer or my follower? And you might go, well, is there really a difference? And, and I think there is a huge difference. Admirers are impressed. Followers are devoted. Admirers applaud. Followers surrender. And lots of people admired Dr. King. Much fewer marched with him. Even fewer went to jail with him. And very few had their houses bombed like he did. Lots of people admire Mother Teresa, but not many follow her to serve the destitute and dying. Last week, Dave kicked off a new sermon series, and we're gonna go do it as much as we can in 10 weeks in the Gospel of, of John. This morning, we are at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's, he's kind of calling his first disciples. It's all just kind of kicking off. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this John is John the Baptist, not the person who wrote the gospel. It says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Just a few verses later, we read this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. There's lots to admire about Jesus. And a lot of people around the world, even people who don't consider themselves Christians, consider themselves admirers of Jesus. 
I mean, you could admire Jesus' teaching or his ethics. You could admire his character or admire his commitment to the marginalized. But Jesus never comes along and asks for people to admire him. But he does come along and say to each person he meets, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I don't think it's that difficult, right? It's going where Jesus goes. It means doing what Jesus does. It means trusting what Jesus says. It means loving the way that Jesus loves. In fact, the earliest followers of, of Jesus were said, they were said to be followers of the way. Christian, as we've said before, was a term hardly ever used in the Bible, but it did say, hey, these are the people who followed the way. And I think that probably came from John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. People who follow him are followers of the way. Because following Jesus is about a way of life. It, it, you kind of commit, you go all in on following him. Think of your life kind of as a pie chart, you know, uh, and you have these different sections of your life, faith, family, work, hobby, school, free time, you know, whatever it is that would make up your life. And, and we think a person who is following Jesus, well, probably what their faith slice just gets bigger, right? So it's like the, my goal is to have faith, to have Jesus, have the biggest slice of my life. But the problem with that kind of thinking is it compartmentalizes Jesus into one part of your life. I, I think it might be better to think of Jesus as not a slice of the pie, but as the crust. Like Jesus is all around your life. The crust holds the pie together and your faith in Christ holds your life together. But we don't think this way because I think that the problem is, is that, that, that we get confused about what a Christian is. We kind of define a Christian as somebody who believes in Jesus. But we don't usually define a Christian as a person who follows Jesus. The Babylon Bee had kind of played on that, that, that Christians kind of define Jesus, uh, define a Christian as somebody who's prayed this prayer. And so they had this headline. It's a satirical website if you're not familiar with it. But they had this headline, Bible Lacking Sinner's Prayer Returned for Full Refund. And, and I don't know why, but it kind of cracks me up because, because the idea that there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, this woman got mad and took it back, at least in this fictional world. And then in, in this article, she fictionally again says this, I searched that Bible through and through and couldn't find anything about a magic prayer I could lead people to say in order to instantly get them into the kingdom and have them be forevermore secure in their eternal salvation so that no matter what their life looks like afterward. And the whole point is that she couldn't find this magic prayer because it doesn't exist. That, that doesn't happen in the Bible, it's not there. And yet there's a lot of people who are really sure that it is. The problem is that when we define believe, we think of believing as accepting something as, as true or as real. But, but when the Bible defines believe, it, it's more than just kind of an intellectual agreement, intellectual assent. It's more than just kind of a heart acknowledgement. But the Bible defines believe as being committed, being committed 
Because following Jesus requires more than kind of mental ascent. It requires movement. See, we tend to separate believe and follow. But the Bible says, no, those go together. Because to, to follow Jesus is to believe in him. To believe in him is to follow him. And, and so what happens is, is if we just think in terms of like believing in our head, like this intellectual thing, like I agree with this, that's what makes a Christian. Then what happens is we start going, well, what's the minimum? Like what's the least you could believe about Jesus and still get to, to heaven? But when you start thinking about that, like what's the minimum? It just makes all of Jesus' teaching optional, right? Like, well, you can do it or you don't. You can be a Navy SEAL or not, but you, you know, you don't have to do it. But can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, look, guys, my teaching, it's all totally optional. This whole Sermon on the Mount thing, everything I'm teaching, it's just optional. You do it if you want or not. Just ask me to pay for your sin and it's all good. And then just, you decide and do what, live how you want to live. No, see, Jesus calls us to obey him. Not so that we can somehow earn our way to heaven, but because when we obey him, that's the way that we follow him. I mean, imagine saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I just want you to know, I really trust you. Now, I don't trust you enough to actually do what you say, but I really trust you. Or Jesus, I trust you with my eternal life, but not my everyday life. Let's don't be silly. Jesus, I wanna use your blood to avoid hell, but I kinda wanna retain control over my own life. Some people have called that vampire Christianity, right? You, you suck the blood out, you want the blood of Jesus, but nothing else. It's like, hey, Jesus, I, I, I asked you to be my savior. Now I'm gonna live the way I want and I'll, I'll see you in heaven. But the Bible says that we either trust Jesus and we follow him or we don't. The, pick it up, back up in the story, verse 38. So turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So just to make sure we're on the same page, he says, follow me. They start following him. And then the very first words Jesus says in the Gospel of John, very first words, it's not a statement, it comes as a question. And he doesn't ask these people who are beginning to follow him, he doesn't go, hey, what do you guys know? Uh -uh. He goes, what do you, what do you believe? Uh -uh. He says, what do you want? What do you want? Because that question, what do you want, it penetrates and it gets to the core of who we are. What do you want? There's a film, uh, a Russian film, 1979. Uh, it, it means stalker if you translate it into English. And it's one of these artistic films that if you're into that industry, you know this one because it kind of made a big impact. But it, it's kind of hard to follow a little bit, but it's got this really interesting point. And, and, and here's what the film's about. It's about a guy who guides two people to a room. And if you get to this room... You go inside that room, you'll get what you want. Well, at first, everybody's excited. I, I want to go to that room. I want to get what I want. But as you get closer and closer, you start realizing that in that room, you get what you want, not what you say you want. You get what you want, not what you want to want. You get what you want because the room knows you. So then people start feeling with dread because they know their own heart. What do I want? And, and, and I'm just wondering, 
what do you want this morning? And I, I, I know we are all in church, so I know the answer. I want to please God. But you know, if the room knows what you really want, Jesus knows what you want. Would you go in that room? Do you really want what you want? Or maybe you realize you want something that's probably not best. Well, there's a book about it. It's one of those films that people write books about. And the guy who wrote the book about it said this, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. So he just says, you know what you, know what you want? Well, what you want is revealed in how you talk and your attitudes, how you handle your life, your calendar, your, your bank statement, all those kind of things. They show what you really want because your wants bubble up into words and actions, attitudes, habits. There's occasion when a guy, it's usually almost always a guy, who will come to me and tell me that he has committed adultery on his wife. And, uh, you know, everybody's got a story. Every guy has a story. Every person who does anything in life has a story. Well, this is no different. And sometimes they got caught. Sometimes they felt guilty and confessed it. Sometimes they come to me because they want to talk to me. Sometimes they were forced to come talk to me. You know, it's all got a story. But, but if you were sitting in my shoes and somebody came and told you that, what would you want to ask that person? What would you want to say? Oftentimes, what I just do is repeat Jesus' question that he's asking each of us this morning. And I ask him what Jesus asked us. What do you want? What do you want? And partly I ask that because I want the person to be honest. I want the guy in this situation to be honest with themselves and with God and maybe even with me. But also because I know that eventually he is going to do what he wants to do. And the best thing I can do for him is help him want the right things. If you're a parent, you got younger kids and you think, gosh, I get to kind of control them and I decide when they get a phone and I decide what they watch on TV and I decide when they have to do homework and I decide where they can go. But you know what? They all grow up and eventually, you know what they do? What they want. They do what they want. Just like you grew up and you do what you want and your parents don't make those decisions. And so what do you do as a parent? Well, you help your kids want the right thing. That's the best gift you can ever give them. So Jesus is looking at you and he says, follow me. And then he's looking at you and say, what do you want? There's a quote that I, that I, I like. Maybe you've seen it before. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. So if you want to build a ship, you don't, you don't just go and give people a bunch of things to go do. They'll lose interest in that quickly and they won't do it with much enthusiasm. But if you show them the sea and the beauty and the power and all that you can learn there, they will figure out how to build the ship. Well, how do we follow Jesus? Not by telling, okay, do this, do this, don't do that. But by seeing the love and the beauty and the grace and the forgiveness and the joy and the peace and the glory of Jesus. And then you figure out how, how to follow him once you want to follow him. So Jesus asks you this morning, what do you want? And everybody has to answer. Everybody does answer. Every day we answer. Will the way and will of Jesus, is he what I want? Will he make me happiest? Or is there something else that will make me happier? 
You know, I tell you the truth, I, I don't even feel like I know my own heart most of the time. And if you put me in a room, told me I go in that room and I get what I want, I'd be scared to death. So what I talk about, the way I talk about it, is what I want to want. And, and a follower of Jesus wants to want to hear well done, good and faithful servant when they die. A follower of Jesus wants to want that they're excited about the things God's excited about. They, they, they want to want to show Jesus' compassion. They want to want to be about Jesus' glory. So Jesus asked the disciples, those early followers, what do you want? And they say, well, where are you staying, Jesus? And so we just pick it up in the next verse, verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. The best part of following Jesus is being with Jesus. They just hung out with him. They, they spent the day with him. And, and that invitation is open to you and me. We can spend our life with Jesus. It's the best part of being a Christian. Christine and I got married 32, almost 33 years ago. And uh, uh, imagine though, if when we got married, that all that had happened is that she took my last name. Imagine that, that she took my last name, we did that part, but really nothing else. We still lived in different places. We went out on dates. We, we talked on the phone. We, uh, you know, text. But we lived our separate lives. That seems kind of weird, right? Because the best part, the best part of being married to Christine is being with her, doing life with her. What would be the point of being married and not being with her every day? And figuring things out and processing life and making decisions and raising kids and doing all the things we do together. What would be the point? But I'm afraid that some of us have, have taken Jesus' name but not spent time with him. I, I'm afraid that some of us have taken Jesus' name, we call ourselves Christian, but, we're, but, we, but we don't spend time with him. We haven't merged our life with him. And so we're missing out on the best part of being a Christian because we thought if we took the name Christian, that made us a Christian, but taking the name Christian came with a, a life that was with Jesus. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. So Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Cephas is Aramaic and Peter is Greek and they both mean the same thing. They mean rock. So what Jesus is doing is telling Peter that if you follow him, if you follow me, Peter, then I am going to change you. Peter was this loud, impetuous, sometimes insecure, overly confident guy who often made a fool of himself. And Jesus was looking at him and telling him, Peter, I'm going to make you into someone new. See, if you follow Jesus, 
Followers of Jesus are open to Jesus changing their life. In fact, he promises to. In Luke chapter six, Jesus says this, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. When we follow Jesus, we become more like him. First uh, Corinthians 11.1. 1. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So the apostle Paul is saying, look, I am trying to imitate Christ and you can imitate Christ if you're ready for that, but if that's too big a leap for you, then you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. But there's a sense in which we are to look at the way Jesus lived and then imitate that, follow that, become more like that. So there's the old bracelet thing that WWJD, what would Jesus do? And for, you know, a lot of it I think is silly. I'm not really into Christian paraphernalia, but, but, but there's something about it that is right you can think it's silly and cheesy and whatever if you want, but there's something about it, even in the midst of all that, that is right, that it is good to say, how would Jesus treat people that you don't particularly like? There is right, and how did Jesus find peace in the midst of a chaotic life? There is something right about saying, how did Jesus handle conflict? How does Jesus show me to love people? How did Jesus treat me to pray or teach me to pray? How did Jesus order his family life? There is something good about saying, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because a follower of Jesus wants to be more and more like him. There's a scene in Acts 4. Let's just read the verse and then I'll try to explain it to you. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So Peter and John, the disciples, they're in Jerusalem. They're telling people about Jesus. The, the, the leadership there in the community is giving them an incredibly hard time, including beating them, wanting to throw them into jail. But, but what they had to recognize, the leadership, the, those who opposed Christianity, who opposed Peter and John, what they had to recognize is that they had been with Jesus. They were very ordinary. They were unschooled. They were public school kids like me and you, not private school kids. And they had been with Jesus. That's what made them different. So I just wonder, when people look at you, do they notice that you've been with Jesus? Or do they notice that you've been on Amazon? Do you reflect the values of Jesus or Netflix? Jesus or Instagram? Where have you been spending time? What kind of aroma do you give off? What is, it, what is it like to be around you? Have you been with Jesus? See, it takes us back, all the way back to saying, am I gonna be an admirer or a follower? Uh, what's a follower do, do? Well, we've seen, a follower obeys, right? A follower believes that, that Jesus is the best thing that I could ever have in this world. A, a follower is becoming more and more like Jesus. So now we have to go back and ask ourselves, are we followers or have we settled for being an admirer of Jesus? Let's think about it with using this word, a new word called yeah, I don't know how you do, I'd never seen this word until recently, and I thought it was like a fun ambulist. I didn't know how to say it, so I spent like 20 minutes on YouTube trying to learn how to say it this morning, and it's like 
funabulist, is I think how you say it, although that makes no sense to me. So anyway, a funabulist, I think, is a tightrope walker. Never knew that. And, and, and there's been a lot of tightrope walkers, including today, people who do crazy things that I would never do, right? But the, probably the greatest one in history is a guy named Charles Blondin. He was a Frenchman, and he was obsessed with Niagara Falls. So he wanted to, he wanted to w- walk on the tightrope across the falls. So he brings this rope. It's 1,100 feet, and it's like one or two inches. It's made of hemp. And he anchors it 160 feet above Niagara Falls. Well, Charles Blondin, he's not just talented, I guess, but he's also a showman. He knows how to gather a crowd. And so on June 30th in 1859, there were 25,000 people, maybe more depending on which reports you believe, who were around him watching him walk over Niagara Falls. That's what they came for. And he was doing it all with, without a net. Uh, and, and so here's a picture of, of Blondin uh, with this pole walking across about the first time through, about a third of the way across, he sat down and lowered a rope, called a ship to come up beneath him, and they put a bottle of wine on it. He pulled it up, had to drink a wine, lowered it back down, and continued on his way. He got to the other side, he took a short rest, and then he put a camera on his back, the camera they had at that point, and he returned back across, and before he got to the end, he stopped, and you can see here is a rendering of him taking pictures of the people taking pictures of him. One time he walked across Niagara Falls backwards. One time he uh, uh, balanced on a chair over the falls. One time he cooked an omelet and lowered it to a boat so that they could eat breakfast. I mean, you get the point that he did all this stuff and the crowds cheered. They, they just loved watching him do this. And, and, and then one time he's like, do you, do you think I can do this again today? Because, you know, this happened over many months. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, okay, who wants to go with me? Oh, quiet. Because now it's the time to find out if you're an admirer or a follower. See, admirers applaud. Admirers impressed. Followers, mm, they're devoted. They surrender. Well, one guy, one guy who'd worked with Blondine, he did it. Harry Colcord was his name. And, and, and he actually said, okay, I've seen you do this a lot. I will do it. And so here is Harry Colcord on Charles Blondine's back, piggyback, going across. And lots of people admired. Lots of people applauded. Only one followed. So Jesus isn't looking for admirers. He didn't come asking you to admire him, applaud him, think highly of him, be impressed with him. What he did is he called and he says this to you, follow me. And if you're gonna follow him, you're gonna follow him like Harry Colcord followed Charles Blondin. You're like, you're going all in, right? You're on his back, everything you got, your guilt, your shame, your future, your present, even your past, and all the baggage of your past, your time, your money, your security, your mind, your body, you go all in. Because Jesus isn't looking to be a big part of your life. He's looking to be your whole life. Let's pray. I just want to ask you for a second, just quietly, to imagine going all in on Jesus to climbing up on his back, going all in 
and bringing everything. I mean, just think, bringing your mind, your body, just saying, here, it's yours, Jesus. Your checkbook, your, your, your vacations, your future, your past, your family, your conflicts, all of it. I'm going all in with you, Jesus. I want to be a follower. Jesus, we pray that you would help us follow you to be devoted, to be surrendered, to be yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.